Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What follows is a teaser for season one of Reclaim Detroit a vampire the masquerade audio drama from the mind of Ray Stacanus. Reclaim Detroit will debut in July 2022 wherever you get your podcasts. For more information, go to at Vampire Detroit on Twitter. And now... There's some weirdo Satanist out there or something that you might have heard of? I mean, there are, but this doesn't sound like one of them. This is Detroit. 1996. For a long time, the Savage Sabbath vampires held claim to this area. That is, until four years ago when McMasters and his Camarilla group infiltrated the city. I still can't believe your clan lets you call yourself Tory. There are no rules for us anymore. We are who we want to be. Right now, I want to be Tory. It's a little audacious though, isn't it? Hey, audacious is my middle name. (laughs) Yeah. Wait. Is it? Why am I in the back alley of this gin joint? It turns out that the best way to gain knowledge is to invite the city to your secret club and film them the entire time that they're there. Who knew? (laughs) I work for you Camarilla folks too. But you also work for them. It's an underground gothic club for kindred. The lady would prefer tiki torches and Christmas lights. Some loudmouth drunks thought it would be fun to break in my domain and cause trouble tonight. They were wrong. There's something out there. Surprise! Here's a bonus episode just for you. If you dig it and want more bonus content, head on over to my Patreon page. Your support would mean the absolute world to me. For just $2 a month, you get access to everything, including bonus episodes following every single free episode with extra questions, theorizing, and other shenanigans. But this one's on the house, so enjoy and get ready for some more trivia. It's the Trivia Podcast where I ask you questions about stuff you might not even know, but you just might if you watch TV shows. 
episode! Continuing with questions from Army of Darkness with Ray from the podcast Who Would Win, uh, knowing it is half the podcast, and Reclaimed Detroit. Ray, thank you for being here. Uh, once again, it is always a pleasure to be on this show. It's an extra pleasure when we get to talk about my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about this movie with you. But first, uh, one more thing before we get started with trivia. Not only are you the voice of Batman in an upcoming audio drama that I can't wait to listen to, uh, but also you got a new job at Riot Games, right? That's correct. Yeah, I, uh, people, you know, a lot of people know this. I talk about it pretty openly, but I work in the world of video games. Uh, I'm a QA lead, uh, which is very exciting. And I've worked on a bunch of different games that have been hugely popular. I just got hired on like a month ago. I just started at Riot Games working on a game called League of Legends, uh, which is a pretty big deal. It's the number one sure. esport in the world. Uh, what the heck? I only work on the hits. That's what I say. Uh-huh. Um, and before that, I worked on uh, games uh, Apex Legends, uh, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare. You know, I only work on small indie AAA titles. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Octopath Traveler. That's the other big hit that I've worked on before. And uh, yeah, man, I, lo- I love me some video games. I'm a big time gamer, have been my whole life. And to be able to get paid to work in the world of video games on such amazing talented uh, uh, products with such amazing, talented people. It's just, it, it really is a dream come true in, in so many ways. Man, uh, again, I'm uh, not a gamer. I just I just don't feel like I've had the time for it like recently. I feel like, you know, I definitely played when I had a system at home when I was, you know, my parents brought my systems for me and stuff. But uh, I haven't played like a legit campaign video game. I've missed it. Uh, for a long time, but I've heard such great things about these games. I have so many friends that play League of Legends. Can you tell me your, are you allowed to tell me your involvement in that so I can, you know, like talk about this with them? Oh, sure. I mean, I'm, look, I'm a QA lead and I, I'm part of the team that helps create uh, uh, character skins in the game. I believe that's perfectly fine to talk about. I can't talk about what's coming up anytime soon, ah, but okay. I'm part of the team that works on the legendary uh, skins in the game. And so uh, we really, we have a big time release schedule, a whole lot of uh, different uh, cosmetics release in the game. And what's really cool about the way that uh, Riot Games does it is they want to tell a story in everything. And that's one thing that really attracted me to wanting to work there. And so it's not just like we made a, a player skin for this character and it's green. It's not like that. It's they create an entire world around this idea. And then they see if it sort of like hits with people, you know, and so I'm working on sort of the premium, the top of the line legendary skins uh, that people uh, have available. And I tell you, it's a great challenge. And it, it really is, like I say, it really is a dream come true. Oh, man, I can't I can't wait to tell tell my friends about this and like see if they might like recognize your work or something. I mean, you know, uh, I'm, I'm the person uh, I'm a QA lead, which means that I'm not creating the skins per se, but I'm uh, I'm influencing them and I'm making sure that when they get to the people that they look good. Man, that sounds so cool. Congratulations for that. You know, uh, that's that's such a cool job. And to do it on something that you're so passionate about and enjoy is is just really cool. Big fan of the game. Big fan. All right. Well, with that, are you ready for Army of Darkness trivia? I hope so. Bonus episode? (laughs) Let's do it. All right. Starting, I got two rounds here, starting with round one, mostly just medium questions. Starting with question number one. What punishment does Lord Arthur give the captured men in the beginning? Question number two. What is the unholy place where the wise man says the Necronomicon waits? 
Question number three. After being chased by something evil in the woods, Ash finds refuge where? Question number four. When Ash shoots the bad Ash, what does he say? Question number five. How many versions of the Necronomicon are there when Ash gets to the site? Question number six. Ash turns the tides of the battle once the army invades the castle with a souped-out what? Question number seven. What happens at the standoff between Arthur and Henry once the battle was won? And question number eight, who does Lord Arthur call over in the beginning to consult about Ash? All right, go back to question number one. What punishment does Lord Arthur give the captured men in the beginning? Well, I I believe what you're going for, because there's a lot of things that happen. You know, he puts them in those, uh, uh, what what are those things called? Where they put your head and your arms in them, a pillory, but it's a walking pillory. uh, And they're being whipped along the way. They're brought into the castle. Some of them, you know, one guy tries to escape. He shoots him with a crossbow and kills him right there. Everybody else is going to get thrown into the pit. Thrown into the pit is what I was looking for. And again, for this movie, probably the least amount of fake blood out of all of them. Just this scene, really. This is the one. Now, they did make up for it in this one scene, to be fair. (laughs) It was was a waterfall's worth. (laughs) A literal geyser of blood from the pit. (laughs) And that's what makes it so wonderful. This pit scene is, you know, you're introduced to the pit. The pit is scary. We don't know what's in there. They have not shown us. The guy gets thrown in count to five. Ash's face just turns red, like with from just the sunlight hitting the blood as it's coming out. Right. Wonderful effect. The blood geysers out of the pit completely. Everybody starts cheering. But when Ash (laughs) actually gets thrown in there. There's like a, a deadite, you know, woman down there who just starts punching him in the face repeatedly. Like, what exactly happened down there? We'll never know. To get this fountain of blood. It's not really <laughs> explained because it doesn't match what we know happens in the pit. So it is <laughs> it is a wild, wild uh, uh, setup for what actually is seen. And I think that uh, overselling it makes it even better. It adds something special for sure. <laughs> Uh, Question number two, what is the unholy place where the wise man says the Necronomicon waits? Yes, you have to go to a special uh, graveyard in order for that to happen. This is where all the undead are resting until they are undead again. I guess the dead are resting until they're undead again. Yes, a graveyard cemetery is correct. Uh, Speaking of places here, question number three, after being chased by something evil in the woods, Ash finds refuge where? Yeah, you know, we talked about this. This is when they have the mini, mini ash sequence. He finds it in a windmill. A windmill is correct. Which is, which is totally wonderful, I'm going to add, because in there is an extended cut of Army of Darkness. Uh, Army of Darkness is a notoriously short movie. It's about 83 minutes long or something. It's not long. Yeah. It is a very, but the thing about it is this is a movie that moves. This is a movie that just does not stop moving at any time. Even when they're trying to, like, give you facts and details and feelings, Within 30 seconds, he's like fighting a monster again. Like they just do not stop with the the thrills and the action of this movie. The pacing is one of the extra reasons why this movie is so good to me. And when they had the uh, unreleased uh, director's uh, cut or whatever they want to call it, where they put all this extra footage back into it, including an extended scene in the windmill with the lights coming in from all the holes in the roof while the windmill is turning, creating this really awesome like light effect. It looks cool. It ruins the pace of the movie. 
they change a bunch of lines. They put back in the original ending, which we'll talk about at the end if you want to, uh, that test audiences hated. So they created the one in S-Smart instead, and it's so much better. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff. That I, I am not a fan of director's cuts of movies. And Army of Darkness was maybe the first one I sat down saying, I am excited to see this extra footage. And then when watching it, the movie just kept grinding to a halt over and over again and then had trouble getting the momentum back. Whereas the actual theatrical release, the one we watched, the one that's available right now, the pace never stops. Like you can't yeah. lose, you can't lose momentum if you just never give it up. <laughs> Man, all right, good to know. I was going to search this out, but I think I would rather just stick with the Army of Darkness. I know then. Yeah, I mean, like I say, I think the one the, the windmill light sequence is cool to look at, but it right. adds nothing to the movie and just. Right in the middle, beginning, middle of the movie just slows it down to a crawl. Sure. Uh, question number four. When Ash shoots the bat Ash, what does he say? It's one of the bad, maybe to me, maybe the most quotable line of the movie. There's a lot of them. Uh-huh. Uh, but of course, he 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 gets punched. He's called Little Goody Two Shoes by Evil Ash. And he gets punched repeatedly until the shotgun goes into his nose. He pulls the trigger, steps forward and says, good, bad. I'm the guy with the gun. <laughs> Absolutely correct. <laughs> um, question number five here. How many versions of the Necronomicon are there when Ash gets to the cemetery? And we talked about this a little bit at the, uh, uh, the previous episode, but there are three Necronomicons. Nobody said anything about three books. Like, what is he supposed to do? Take take one book or all books or what? <laughs> three is absolutely correct. I'll give you a second point. Uh, we mentioned what the first book does. We know the third one's the actual. What does the second book do? The second book, and again, doesn't say the words before grabbing it, which is amazing. Uh-huh. But it is alive. It is essentially a bat spirit. It bites down because there's a face on the front of it. It bites his fingers when he goes to grab it, then starts flying in the air and attacking him repeatedly like a bat would, just <laughs> basically being more of an annoyance than an actual threat, though, which is what makes this entire fight so hilarious. You don't believe for a second this book is ever going to do anything to Ash but annoy him, but it keeps coming back and annoying him. It's great. That's that's 100% true. <laughs> Question number six. Ash turns the tides of the battle once the enemy army invades the castle with a souped out what? Well, of course, that's the car from the initial uh, scene right there. The, of course, 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88 Royale. Uh, but he has uh, modified it with steam power, as we mentioned last episode, put a, a the windmill on the front of it. It's now referred to uh, affectionately as the Death Mobile. And he drives it all around the courtyard of this beautiful castle. Yep, yep, with that windmill with those nice stationary skeletons, perfect for getting swapped away. <laughs> it's crazy. They don't even seem to move when he hits them. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Question number seven. What happens at the standoff between Arthur and Henry once the battle was won? Great moment because in the in the moment you're only thinking about the deadites as the threat. Henry the Red, uh, Duke of Shale, Lord of the Northlands and leader of its people. I would <laughs> add that as well <clears throat> for my own sake. Uh, they show up that one scene in slow motion where he takes the Morning Star Mace and he just wails that skeleton whose head spins off of him is some of the coolest stuff ever seen in cinema. Uh-huh. Part. I, I was excited watching it again this morning for that part. As soon as it started up, I'm like, oh, here we go. And he just crushes <laughs> it. It's so unbelievably cool. So the battle's over. The dead have been routed. But, you know, we forget these are two factions who are at war. These are two factions who do not like each other. So inside the castle walls, here we are. Both sides line up. 
Henry steps forward. Arthur steps forward. You think there's going to be a big rumble. Ash and Sheila are nervous and then both throw their weapons down and have a big old hug right in the middle of the castle. Uh, uh, yep. Yep. They right hug the it middle, out right in the middle of the castle floor. I don't know what you said. What do you call a courtyard right in the middle of the castle courtyard? There we go. I wanted to call it castle floor and I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> but they hug it out is correct. A moment to which all the men just cheer because they didn't want to fight. <laughs> Right. Oh, I don't think man. at the end of the day, these people probably grew up with each other. You know, they're only at war because, you know, they, they're they, neighbors. Yeah, they're neighbors. They, you know, this is a Michigan, Ohio State thing. Nah, I take that back because we actually do want to fight each other. This <laughs> is, you know, this is a North South Dakota thing. That's what I'll say. You know, okay. Not knowing that culture very well at all, but I'm sure they don't <laughs> actually want to fight each other, no matter how much I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> and end round one with question number eight. Who does Lord Arthur call over in the beginning to consult about Ash? Yes, he calls her the, one of the most fantastic beard-mustache combos in the history of cinema. <laughs> uh, known affectionately only as Wise Man. Wiseman. Yeah, the Wise Man is correct. Do you think that was Merlin? I think that it was a, a Merlin uh, shout-out. I don't think it was... Like I say, there a theory, is this Arthur's King of the Round Table? There's a character named Arthur. There's a wise man who kind of looks like Merlin. To me, he looks more like Tim the Enchanter from Monty Python and the Holy <laughs> Grail. Um, I would say that this is like discount Arthur and discount Merlin. You know, like I say, you know, you can you can order it uh, name brand or you can get it off of Wish. These guys are the ones off of Wish. What if this was just their younger days? Ash taught them everything they needed to know to be legendary, including Merlin's magic because he probably left the chemistry book there. You know what I would say? I wish we would have made that movie because I would have watched it. <laughs> oh, man. Well, to end round one, you are nine for eight right now. Feeling pretty good. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ooh, I have seven hard questions left. Starting with question number nine. After Henry the Red introduces himself to Ash, how does Ash sarcastically respond? Question number ten. Where was Ash's boomstick made? Question number 11. The people from the past also call Ash what? Question number 12. What does Ash say when Sheila gives him the gift she made? Question number 13. What's the first thing Sheila says when she turns evil? Question number 14. What is attached to the arrows they use in the battle? And question number 15. After Ash burns the flesh off the leader of the Army of Darkness, he comes back and says what line? Going back to question number nine, after Henry the Red introduces himself to Ash with that long title, how does Ash sarcastically respond? Oh, that long title, Henry the Red, Duke of Shale, Lord of the Northlands and leader of its people. Is that the one we're referring to that I'll never live down in my own brain? That's the one. <laughs> uh, yes, he, he looks right at him and he says, well... Hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. <laughs> you ain't leading but two things right now, pal. Jack and something. And Jack left town. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. 
Oh, well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What a great line to use to someone who feels like they have to rattle off that many titles and must feel self-important. Incredible. Well, in, in Henry's defense, he does he does feel like he is about to be killed. He is about That's to true. die. And this is the last chance he has to impress someone who doesn't know who he is. So, you know <laughs> what? I can't blame him for taking advantage of the moment one last time. <laughs> Question number 10. Where was Ash's boomstick made? Oh, well, this little baby was made. In Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, my home state of Michigan. Uh, a lot of inspiration from the state of Michigan in this movie. Most notably, the fact that this gun was made in Grand Rapids. Uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan is correct. Uh, can you reference any other Michigan references in this movie? I mean, the license plate on the uh, Deathmobile is a Michigan plate. Uh, in the opening scene, when they're doing the recap of Evil Dead 2, um, his girlfriend, Linda, is wearing a Michigan State shirt. Uh, right. Both in Evil Dead 2 uh, and Army of Darkness, and maybe Evil Dead 1 as well. I think so. Yes. Um, so those are all very specific Michigan references. I believe even in Ash vs. Evil Dead, don't they? No, they said it They said it in Jacksonville. No, they said it in Michigan, I believe. Uh, Jacksonville was a place that he went when I think the dead was trying to give him what he wanted to kind of like uh, kind of satisfy him to kind of lull him into a, a, a stupor. Yeah, I believe the original cabin from the Evil Dead series is uh, in the lore is in Michigan as well. Okay, all right. It is a it looks Sam Raimi and Bruce Bruce Campbell both from Michigan, as am I. Uh, not that I'm trying to put myself in their esteem, but I mean uh, we share a state, and so uh, as we from Michigan are wont to do, we will reference ourselves and that state whenever we possibly can. Listen, I'm so proud to be. Uh, in the state where the office was, you know, took place in Scranton and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I am very proud of these things. Super hilarious. And I'm sure you know about this, but it's always sunny in Philadelphia was supposed to be set in Los Angeles with the original title. It's always sunny in Los Angeles, which is an actual true thing that exists. That is a real, just factual statement. But then it was like, how many shows about Los Angeles do we really need? They made the choice to set it in Philadelphia, like down the line. And, and history was made. <laughs> it works. <laughs> it does work. I'm a, I'm a fan. Question number 11. The people from the past also call Ash by what nickname? They call him a lot of different things. And I kept track of this during the, the movie because the wise man calls him strange one. Uh, I believe at one point they do refer to him as the chosen one. But specifically, they call him the promised one over and over and over again. Ooh, the promised one is correct. Uh, another line here that we referenced earlier, question number 12, <laughs> again, right before he gets her to kiss him somehow, what does Ash say when Sheila gives him the gift she made? It is such a jerk move because she, <laughs> she using the technology of the 1300s. Now, maybe she didn't make it. Maybe she's lying about this. I don't know. I'm going to take her at face value and said she made him the shawl that he could uh -huh. wear because, you know, her her boo, her man, was just murdered in battle against Henry the Red's troops like a day ago. Like that uh -huh. just that just happened. She's met Ash. She treated him terribly because she thought he was one of Henry the Red's men. Just spit in his face, threw a rock at his head, like just, sure. just not cool, man. And so he's a little put off by her, you know, even though she's like, you know, I made a mistake. I feel bad about it. Uh, you know, you seem cool. Maybe I can kind of cozy up to you. He takes the blanket. He's still a little salty with her and says, I could use a horse blanket and sort of throws it aside. Whereas she smacks him in the face and storms off because that's a real mean thing to do to somebody who just did that for you. 
at least be gracious, Ash. Not that you, not that you could, not that you're capable, but you should be gracious there. <laughs> you are absolutely correct. Good, I could use a horse blanket. Ouch. <laughs> it's rough because he doesn't even own a horse. I mean, he borrows horses. They have their own blankets. Like it's really like if you really break it down, it's worse than you think. <laughs> well, another line here, question number thirteen. What's the first thing Sheila says when she turns evil? Uh, again, uh, in a movie with a million great quotes, yep. this is yet another one. She turns to the camera. She does the the one hand in front, pulls the cowl off over her where she's wearing that cape, which is a great move. It also protects the hair because the hair was outstanding, uh, outstanding volume in that scene. She looks right at the camera and says, I may be bad, but I feel good. <laughs> You just can't write stuff like that. It's brilliant. I wish I, I was that good at writing. It's so good. Oh, man. Uh, well, we got one more line after this. You know, I, I, feel, I feel like I had some real good one-liners in the Reclaimed Detroit series, uh, Vampire the Masquerade Audio Drama. I tried to put a lot of specific, like, I tried to, like, it's hard to just write one-liners, but I tried to have a bunch of memorable lines of dialogue and things people said in there. I'll sure. never in my life write something as good as I may be bad, but I feel good. I'm just, and I have to, I just have to be okay with that. <laughs> oh man. Uh, question number 14. What is attached to the arrows they use in battle? Yeah, this goes back to his chemistry 101 book. He makes gunpowder, puts them in little sacks, ties them to the arrows. And then there's one of my favorite little moments of the movie is when they light all the arrows He's waiting for the dead to get closer, you know, whites of their eyes, you know, don't fire to see the whites of their eyes kind of a thing. Sure. And everybody's getting super nervous because it's starting to burn down to the sacks. Yep. There's a great move where just a random archer is holding his position and the camera is like focused on the gunpowder and then the camera changes focus to him and he sort of just like looks over to the side like, uh, and it just, it makes me laugh. It's such a wonderful little moment and it makes me laugh. It's so real. And it makes me laugh every single time I see it. It's just, this is a perfect movie. That's what I'm trying to say. And there's no way, I mean, when they were lighting those, you know, um, what's what's the cord called? The wick. The wick. When they were lighting the wicks, it took a solid maybe minute, two minutes to walk down the line. There's no way everyone's wicks were burning at the same place. I thought about this. <laughs> I think you have to adjust like different wicks. So that way the longest wick is the first one to get lit with slightly shorter wicks all the way down the line to the end to keep it uniform. Cause you're right. That shouldn't work. That shouldn't make sense. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Ooh, and end to end with question number 15. After Ash burns the flesh off the leader of the army of darkness or the evil version of himself, that evil version comes back as a skeleton and says what line? He, he, he gets knocked over the castle wall after being set on fire, falls into the courtyard, climbs his way back up the wall, face, as, as Nicolas Cage would say, I want his face off. <laughs> so you have a skeletal face, a skull, if you will, inside the wonderful helmet. And he says, I got a bone to pick with you. <laughs> Again, brilliant dialogue like that you can't just come up with. It takes a true master of the art. <laughs> oh, man. What a perfect line. And again, you are ending now with a 16 out of 15. Congratulations, Ray. We're feeling pretty good. You know, I, I felt comfortable in my knowledge of this movie. I watched it again just to be safe, and I'm glad I did. Sure. But this is uh, this is a masterpiece of cinema. I'm not under I'm not uh, I'm actually underselling it. I'm not overselling it. You, I know what you're thinking at home. It's not that good. I, no, you're wrong. 
It's that good. It is not just that good. It's better than that. I'm actually not selling it hard enough. I will also admit this is <laughs> this was a life changing movie. Uh, I I love this movie ever since seeing it. It has not left my mind. Uh, nor should it. Like this is a movie that stays with you, and it's like you're either you either get it. It's like a lot of Sam Raimi stuff. You either get it and you're on board, and it just it slaps right for you, or you're dead inside. One of those two things <laughs> is absolutely true. Well, uh, before we wrap this episode up, would you like to plug your stuff again? Yeah, you know what the heck. You know, reclaim Detroit. A Vampire of the Masquerade audio drama, go to VampireDetroit.com or at VampireDetroit on Twitter. I would really like it. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, uh, we're having a good time. You like this kind of thing. Go check out my vampire show. Uh, five episodes are done. It's all, it's the uh, one through five, act one, as I call it. Acts two and three are going to be coming as we finish season uh, one uh, sometime in, in the near future, existing future. And and I, I you know, this is a show that I want uh, to help find an audience. So if it's the kind of thing you feel like you might be into, Please go check it out. Uh, I would really appreciate it. Find it wherever you uh, get your podcast, Spotify, Google, Apple, all the places. I think Audible, I think even has it. I don't know. You can get it basically everywhere. You can listen to it straight off the website, vampiredetroit.com. I try to make it as easy as physically possible for you. And the story is a uh, city of Detroit. Uh, there were a bunch of evil Sabbath vampires, as they're known. They all got kicked out of the city a few years ago by the quote unquote good guy Camarilla vampires. And uh, all five of our main characters, uh, this is the story in the first five episodes is told from five different perspectives of the same night. I'll go ahead and give up the goat right there. Yes, it's the same night told from five perspectives and they all interact with each other as sort of the evening progresses. And uh, yeah, and so it's the telling of their particular stories of this kind of new uncharted world as they try to find their own way and make a name for themselves and stay healthy, stay alive. Meanwhile, the, there's a threat of other vampires, of evil vampires coming back to take the city, happening at any time. And it's about it's about telling their own stories. And, I, and I'm really, really proud of it. And I think there's a lot of talent. Uh, all the music in its original, I didn't mention that before, Sean Gould, uh, who's a dear friend, uh, made all original music for the entirety of the show. And he's, I don't know, yeah, I'm allowed to say it. He's now the lead composer at Warner Brothers Music. Wow, that's yeah, awesome. He got that job while working on my show. And I don't want to take all the credit for it, but I should probably take some of the credit for it, right? <laughs> uh, if I can interrupt you real quick here, too. Again, I listened. I'm a fan of this podcast. And again, you did say that it is set in a previously established world. But again, uh, with these five episodes, I don't know. I think you made everything super clear. Uh, you know, we're all aware of the different vampire factions, that some of them have different abilities than others. Correct. And uh, again, without knowing Personally, the other lore, uh, still huge fan of this podcast. Yeah, one of the things that I think really stood out to me is I, uh, one of my friends, uh, uh, he listened to the show and he says, I don't know anything about Vampire the Masquerade. And listening to the show, hearing what happened, listening to the characters, it made me want to investigate this world further. It made me want to pick up some of the references that I otherwise would not have gotten some of the nuance of it because he then looked into the actual, cause it's all online. You can read about everything you want to, you know, it's a big expansive world. And if sure. there's an aspect of it, you enjoy, you can learn a whole lot about it. And maybe that kind of helps uh, uh, your experience further as it goes on, but it's not necessary. I do try to be not dry about exposition, but just lay everything out for you. Here's what you need to know. Um, and a very specific writer's thing for you writers in the audience right now is whenever I was trying to give exposition, I wasn't trying to just say, here is a thing, this is what it is, so you know. It was always, you're being told about a thing from the perspective of one of the characters who then proceeds to give you his opinion on that thing. 
So it not only is like, here's me giving you the information, here's some storytelling, some character building, some world building about how this character feels about that piece of information to make it a little bit less dry for the audience to um to enjoy. And I, and I think it all paid off. I, I'm a big fan of myself and I'm a big fan of this show. Same. Uh, you had a couple other podcasts as well. Yeah, real quick, because I spent so much time on that one. Who would win? Uh, you can go to who would win. I think who would win show.com, I think is our website again. I don't know. We're doing we're in the middle of putting together our new website, but you can go to at who would win show on Twitter. Uh, big show who would win show. There's a lot of similar shows to it, but ours is the biggest. And the first one that comes up when you search who would win or who would win show wherever you again, wherever you podcast. And that's a wonderful show. If you like superhero battles, you like geek culture. It's a good show for you. And then knowing us have the podcast. We watch a lot of G.I. Joe. Like my number one favorite thing is G.I. Joe outside of Army of Darkness. Uh, we'd be beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so we, we watch all the G.I. Joe cartoons, and there's a lot more than you think there is. We are just about to finish G.I. <laughs> Joe Extreme, two seasons of it from the mid-90s, I think 95, 96. But we also are watching a lot of Halloween specials. We're going to watch some Christmas specials, Thanksgiving specials. Uh, we watch a lot of 80s and 90s cartoons, and then stuff in the peripherals around that. We just finished the episode coming out uh, as we record this was uh, uh, the Halloween that almost wasn't a live-action Showtime uh, special for kids starring Judd Hirsch as Dracula. Yes, Judd Hirsch. Wow. From Taxi. and uh, <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, he's been in a million things, and I'm blanking out. Elementary. I think he's on Elementary. Uh, he was on that one show I like with that one guy whose name I forget. You know, that one. He was in that show. Sure. I think it was called Forever. Starred the guy, who, the guy who played uh, Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, from that uh, Fantastic Four couple movies, The Rise of Silver Surfer, etc. He made a movie where he's a guy who can't die. Uh, if he dies, he wakes up the next morning <laughs> alive. Interesting. In the water in New York, and he solves crimes. Like, it is a great show. I think he plays his father. It's wonderful. <laughs> and again, links to all of Ray's stuff are in the show notes, so be sure to check him out there. And again, at this point, please rate, subscribe, tell a friend, and submit your own trivia. And uh, again, that's a wrap. Ray, thank you so much for being here. It was so much fun doing Army of Darkness trivia with you. It is such a pleasure to be here on the show, Brian. Thank you so much for having me on the show, especially to talk about a movie this great. Uh, it's going to be hard to find a movie this great, uh, quite honestly, uh, when uh, we do around three of this at some point. But uh, I'll give you a list. I'll give you a short list of movies it should be, just because these are movies I want to watch again. Sounds good. <laughs> Listeners, thank you, and stay tuned for more trivia.